All right, online participants, we just I just remembered to start the recording. So you just missed a little sharing. We're about to get into the content. So we're talking about in class 10, do not disparage the triple treasure. And looking at a Dharma talk that uh, Peg did in 2011, and we're gonna read it around the group. I had a brief thought after a difficult practice discussion about not really being able to offer anything meaningful or helpful for people. And what immediately popped into my head was the last precept. A disciple of the Buddha does not disparage the triple treasure. Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. With that negative thought, I had actually been disparaging my own Buddha nature. And it occurred to me that we never talk about this precept very much. I've never heard or read a real teaching about it. It isn't even covered in the Rosetto book. In any event, we have not said much about it in our teachings here. It seems straightforward enough, although it doesn't really need any explanation. Don't say bad things about the Buddha or his teachings or about the Sangha. Maybe most people think there is nothing much to it, but it is the final precept, an important position in the order. And it's not just an afterthought. Um, so Q, if you would go next and you can read down through this Buddha nature, that line. As I continued seeing people in practice discussion, I got clearer and clearer about its importance. And that is what I decided to talk about. First of all, I talked a bit about the meaning of this word disparage, which means to belittle, demean, criticize, or dismiss. Then I talked about the first of the three treasures and the obvious application. Don't disparage the Buddha, our great teacher. But going beyond that simple view is more subtle, is a more subtle practice point. Where is the Buddha? Sangha members responded everywhere, including in yourself. I said, if you realize that every single being, including yourself, is on the path of Buddhahood and is in fact a living Buddha, who is it that you must not disparage, belittle, demean, criticize, or dismiss? Time after time, I see people struggling with this issue, convinced that they are lacking something essential, that they are insignificant, and that they can't figure out what they should be doing, or worse, that whatever they are doing is somehow wrong or inadequate. This is all disparaging the Buddha and their own Buddha nature. Thank you. Fabienne, if you would pick it up and I'll highlight the last word where you end on. Oh, you're still, let me unmute you. Hold on. There you go. I got it. Thank you. Thank you. It is a source of suffering and it prevents us from living whole, wholeheartedly as Buddha in our own lives. Then too, sometimes we disparage the Buddhas around us, dismissing, criticizing, or demeaning them, even if only in our minds. We weight one person as more important than another, treat people differently based on our appraisal of them, and so on. 
sometimes we think or we think of self self criticism as something noble something that shows all humility this is particularly pernicious in many spiritual traditions thank you Heather? Oops. When you deny your own Buddhahood, you dismiss yourself and create a crippling set of limitations that you then live by. When you deny the Buddhahood of others, you're simply failing to recognize their true nature. This is not considered virtuous or noble in Buddhist teachings. Yet we have many cultural habits and conditioning around this, so that it becomes the expected norm to put oneself down, a kind of badge of honor. It's also expected norm to criticize others as a way of bonding. This is also disparaging the Buddha. Leslie? Then I talked a bit about the second treasure, the Dharma, and its two congruent meanings as the teachings of the Buddha and as the manifestation of phenomena, reality. So the obvious sense is that a disciple of the Buddha does not disparage the Buddha's teachings, reflecting a kind of sincerity about engaging the practice wholeheartedly. But once again, when we look more deeply, we see that this precept also applies to all phenomena in our human experience. Lynn? We are constantly making judgments about the worthiness or its lack in a situation or a circumstance in which we find ourselves, dismissing some as unworthy of our attention and making others a big priority. Much of the time, we are simply unaware of what our exist own existence actually is. Yet for a true disciple of the Buddha, everything we experience manifests as the teaching of life as it is. So one issue raised at this point was this, it seems we always have to make choices about how we spend our time, who we will be with, what will we do? Is this wrong? I pointed out that making choices is not the same thing as disparaging. Um, we'll skip Mitch since he's not feeling well. Um, <clears throat> Scott? Thank you. As Joko said, we are always making moment-to-moment -moment choices. Uh, the issue is whether we are awake when we make them and whether there is a subtle dismissal or criticism or judgment of worthiness involved. There is a difference between discernment and judging. It is a good practice point to look at those choices and how they are motivated, conditioned, or habituated. Rosemary? Hold on a second. You're muted. I got oh, you. Sorry. Oh, you thank go. you. Um, it is the same when we look at the third part of the precept. A disciple of the Buddha does not disparage the Sangha. In the Buddha's time, there were many te teachers competing with each other and often speaking dismissively of each other. Students and disciples would criticize even the other followers of their own teacher. This leads to division and destruction in the community of practice, not to health and well-being. So in the most obvious interpretation of this precept, we do not disparage those in our own practice community. At a deeper level, 
We are connected intimately with each other in our small Sangha, and we are connected more widely with our other sitting groups around the world and with all Zen Buddhists, with our families and friends and colleagues, and in a larger way with all beings. These relationships are not to be dismissed or disparaged. They are the very connections we need in order to survive and thrive. Yet we constantly pick and choose defining some relationships as more important and becoming impatient or critical of others. Every being in our lives is our teacher and every single one is deserving of our respect and care. So in a way, this precept actually completes and includes all the other precepts that come before it. It invites us to look deeply and carefully, to live wholeheartedly and generously, and to practice tirelessly. We want to clarify the myriad ways that we do disparage the three treasures that offer us an abundant, rich, and boundless life, both in obvious ways and in ways far more subtle, the ways that we and others often secretly approve of. These can be treacherous waters, and so we work together in support of the full expression of our deepest wisdom and compassion. That is the path to an ethical Buddhist life. <clears throat> so that's a that's a much wider take on not disparaging the triple treasure, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I think it's a good reminder, as Rosemary was pointing out, that it's not, as Barry Majid says, saving all beings minus one, minus ourselves. Like we're, we're the one dumb one that is not going to be saved, right? We have to be uh, cognizant of our habitual way of doing that, even subtly to ourselves. That we all have Buddha nature, awakened nature. We're all part of the Sangha, <clears throat> including those parts of us that we don't like so much. So how do we welcome them into our practice, not disparage them? Well, we're nearing the end of our precept study together. And the last thing I wanna to do tonight is, well, I'm sorry. There's two things more I want to do. We're going to read the conclusion of the Rosetto book together. It's uh, just about three pages. <clears throat> and then we'll talk a little bit about the precept ceremony that will be available in a couple of months as an optional thing and talk about why one might do that. All right, so the process of transformation. I will we'll just keep going around the room. I'll read the first chapter-ish, sorry, not paragraph-ish, and then hand it off. And this, if you're in the physical book, this is page 181 on the edition I have anyway. Conclusion. A process of transformation. 
Not long ago at a teacher's conference, I sat with other Buddhist teachers listening to the comments about teaching Buddhism by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He said, there is only one important point you must keep in your mind and let it be your guide. No matter what people call you, you are just who you are. Keep to this truth. You must ask yourself, how is it you want to live your life? We live and we die. This is the truth that we can only face alone. No one can help us, not even the Buddha. So consider carefully what prevents you from living the way you want to live your life. End of quote. This is the fundamental question that the precepts ask. What action will you take given the freedom of choice? How do you choose to live your life? And what motivates you to live your life in this way? Q, can you take the next one? Sure. There is no timetable for completing our work with the precepts. In fact, we never really finish working with them. Seeing clearly what goes on when we take life, measure ourselves against others, indulge in anger, withhold from others, take what isn't ours to take, and any of the other reactionary swings on our trapeze could take minutes, days, months. But when we take that time to carry the questions of the precepts into our daily activities, on the job, at home, with everyone in every situation, bringing them up, sending out a probe of inquiry, then slowly, over time, the answers will be right there in front of us, perhaps when we least expect it. It can be difficult to question our cherished opinions about our experiences. To use one of my own examples, it took quite a long time for me to realize that the anger I indulged toward my mother was a reaction to a more deeply seated requirement that I be treated a certain way. When that didn't happen, I was deeply hurt and frightened. Anger erupted as an armor to protect me from that pain. It was frightening to hang in the dead spot of that awareness because when I was denied the reaction of anger, I, had, I only had my deepest pain and fears to face. Ah. Fabienne? We begin over and over each day, each hour, each minute. We are constantly beginning our practice with the precepts and we are always beginners. Whenever we lose sight of that, we are lost. The starting point is a refuge. Enter here, just this moment of openness, the truth of just this. Just this is the gateway of transformation when we can give over completely to our experience. It transforms into the peace and joy that comes with an open heart. It is an opening process to a lifetime because the identity continually creates itself. But out of our mistakes and obsession, we can know the intricacies and limit of that creation. We can know its process and how it recreates itself 
over and over. Over time, we buy into less. We buy into it less. So we are less likely to act from self-centered thinking. In the previous discussions, I've given many examples illustrating how people may work with any of the precepts, but it's important to keep in mind that the process is a lot messier and trickier than we sometimes, than some of the illustrations suggest. People are different in many ways that the method of working with a particular precept changes with each person. The work will not always follow the sequence described here. Above all, I do not want the reader to take what's written here as a prescription or a step-by-step -step way of working. Often when we stop and begin questions, begin to question our actions, what gets revealed is a chaotic mess of motivations and beliefs. But if approached with patience, honesty, and intelligence, out of that chaos can arise freedom and clarity. Uh, let's see, Leslie's next. Could you try and get a little closer to the mic, Leslie? You were a little soft before, or speak up a little. Oh, okay. Can you hear me better now? A little better, yeah. Uh, how about now? Is this better? Yes, thank you. Okay, good. Um, um, as with the initial inquiry, right? Yes. As with the initial inquiry, it may take some time before we feel anything. Sometimes the experience is very strong and difficult to rest in. If so, we just go to the threshold to where we feel we can handle it. This is not an endurance test of any sort. The point is to slowly come to be able to relax in this stretch like a dancer learns to do when she stretches and relaxes into her muscles. When I sat by the phone each morning before I made that first call to my mother, I could hardly endure five breaths. My stomach was wrenching and churning so strongly. But over time, just allowing myself to rest in wherever the threshold presented at that particular time, my relationship to that wrenching changed. What I thought was the worst thing that could happen was just that thought. It had nothing to do with what was real. Lynn? Living through the precepts. You're unmuted. We hear you. Living through the precepts is to live with their unveiling like a Cohen, not just for a long time, but for the rest of our lives. We'll never get it right, but we will get it. This is the way to keep the precepts. It is a continued effort. Rosemary? Uh, at that end of our service in our Zen center, we chant, unceasing change turns the wheel of life, and so reality is shown in all its many forms. Our work with the precepts turns us in the wheel of life, and we turn it interdependent, not one, not two. Our work with the precepts also turns like a wheel. As the beacon light of awareness lights up our actions, we see clearly how we swing into our habitual reactions of self-centered thinking. And as the power and intelligence of that awareness does its work, we stand in witness as the thoughts, feelings, and sensations 
lose their form, dismantling and dissolving. We rest open and alert in the power of the dead spot. Underlying holdings and beliefs, fear in all its manifestations, slowly melt into emptiness, and we are just left with breathing in and out. The sound of the children playing in the yard, the smell of coffee, just this. For a time, the self-centered dream has disappeared into complete awakeness. These are the turns we make over and over as we are transformed. The transformation that we aspire to is similar to the stone in the river. The stone doesn't know that it's getting worn smooth, that its shape and contour are changing. It has no idea. It just keeps accepting the river. That river is our lives. The precepts can help us meet that flow of life. The effort to be present to life's flow in an awake, aware way, and to do whatever we need to do to keep that awareness bright and sharp is also our responsibility. Scott? Engaging the precepts in our lives in the most ordinary way could call us out of our hiding. But in truth, there is no real hiding place. We cannot escape what we are. Sometimes we just have a deaf ear to the calling. The precepts can be the voice that jolts us awake. At times, the voice is soft and hardly audible. It's easy to ignore, to drown out in the din of our stories. But if we're willing to learn how to listen, we can find the teacher in any of our actions. It calls out, here I am. And when for even a fraction of a second, we can turn with openness and curiosity toward exploring that action, then in a moment shorter than a snap of our fingers, we've come out of hiding and into the moment of truth. But as my teacher, Joko Beck, always points out, Easy to say for sure, but not so easily done, because the last place we want to look is where we already are. We are all experts at hiding, so it takes coaxing and prodding from some little voice inside us, and sometimes a voice outside. We all have that voice, and it can take the form of the precept itself. It is the deep intelligence that brings about the seeking to begin with. Soft or deafening, the precepts prod and coax us to come out from behind our actions that harm and hurt and to face the truth of those actions. The precepts can accompany us to places where we don't want to go, but indeed are going. They bring us into the heart of wisdom and compassion, taking action out of the this understanding is as simple and natural as drinking a glass of water. Well, that's a milestone. You guys finished the book. Congratulations. This is our 10th class. It's, it's almost been a year. Can you have a celebration cue? Can you believe it? It's kind of hard to believe. It goes by fast, but yet you stew in it a long time. <laughs> so really, that's kind of our, our journey through each precept there. 
Um, from here on out, we only have one class left. We'll meet next month and we'll we'll discuss the traditional precepts, kind of some different forms of them. Uh, looking back after you've explored it now, we'll bring in some other voices or way of, of saying them. Um, go through any questions and we'll go more deeply into uh, the precept ceremony and kind of walking through what it entails. The precept ceremony, we haven't decided exactly on the date. It will likely be in place of one of the Dharma, Sunday Dharma talks. So it'll be at a Sunday program, um, likely in early June. So I need to work with the other teachers and get the date set now that we're getting pretty close. <clears throat> so that'll be an optional thing that all of you are welcome and invited to participate in. And I thought maybe we would just talk for a minute about what it is or why someone might do that. Um, basically, you know, doing the, the precept ceremony is entirely a personal decision. Right? So um, there's no requirement that it be done. If you don't get any Zen points that you can cash in at the Zen store for it, I'm, I'm sorry to say. But ceremonies have a way to change the participant, to leave a little indelible mark on your psyche that you'll remember. So that's the, the purpose of the ceremonies that we conduct. They're really about a little bit of transformation for the ceremonial participants, a way to mark an occasion and that one that you will take with you as a mark on your body mind the rest of your life. So it's really it's about recognizing uh, the completion of this study of the precepts and it's a way to for those who wish to to say I want to formally uh, receive them as gifts. I formally, I want to live out, continue this way of living out my life, trying to live in accord with the Buddhist precepts as best we can, just continuing the work. This is me, this is the participant saying, I'm, I'm picking up this precepts program. I'm not putting it down at the end of the 12th month. I'm going to carry it with me. And by, we do this in public. It's a public announcement of that intention and aspiration to live in that way. And as a public announcement and aspiration, we invite the Sangha, our spiritual friends, to help us and support us along the way. Right? They witness that aspiration, right? And, and your buddies might be there to help you if you go astray because they know it's important to you. So it serves yourself, it also serves the Sangha. Finally, it's a great inspiration for those Sangha members that haven't done it, that are, are considering maybe signing up for the precepts program themselves. It tends to inspire others, so it has that benefit as well, helps to transform the Sangha. 
So the ceremony itself, you know, only takes 30 or 40 minutes and it's basically a, um, in the Buddhist world, we like to say everything repeatedly, usually three times. So we'll go through all the precepts. You'll, you'll be asked and answered, do you take up the way of this precept? And we'll do it many times. And we'll just ceremonially put this little mark on ourselves, on our body mind to, as a reminder to carry it forward. Any questions or thoughts about that? Next time we'll go through the whole we'll go through the whole program and you can see what's said and how it goes. But for now, I just wanted to introduce it. Go ahead, Rosemary. Um, so um, the Jukai ceremony just happened, I think, last week or so. So can you talk about and it seems much more maybe of a more um, intense commitment, but could you talk about the difference between this ceremony and the Jukai ceremony? Yeah, the Jukai ceremony or the Bodhisattva initiation ceremony is um, similar and in different practice centers, these are done differently. Sometimes there, there's just one thing. There's not a separate precept ceremony. There's only Jukai or the Bodhisattva initiation ceremony. The, the Jukai ceremony is in our Sangha is done um, optionally again at the completion of someone who has completed sewing their Rakasu. And um, as part of that, they formally take on the Bodhisattva vows as a, a similar thing, as a commitment or a reminder that that's their aspiration to live out that way of being. And they do that publicly. Um, in, a, in some Buddhist centers, or a lot of them, the, the Jukai is kind of the first thing you do when you decide, hey, I'm going to be a Buddhist. You know, it's kind of the start of your Buddhist program. Here, we, um, we let people, I think, get a little farther along. People tend to do the precepts first. We encourage people to have taken the precepts class before they even begin sewing to take up a, the sewing program. Does that, does that help? Yes, 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 thank you. Has any, let's just show of hands, has anybody uh, attended a precept ceremony or seen one? No? Okay, about half. What, wasn't there one last year, I think? Somehow I remember Bridget, Bridget, um, mm. and one or two other people, or, or the year before. There, I mean, we generally do this precepts program every year. So there's a been a ceremony pretty much every year for the last 10 or 11 years. I don't know if we missed one during the pandemic or not. I don't recall. There was one online. Okay. Well, that's the end of our program for tonight. We're we're gonna let you release you early and have a light precepts class tonight. If there are no other questions or comments, I am interested. If oh, Fabian, were you gonna say something? 
I wanted to ask uh, uh, for the precept ceremony, do we have to be there in person or will it be like, like uh, remote and in person if you live in Houston, uh, in uh, Austin? No, we're committed to um, supporting our, you know, our new online Sangha members. Okay. So it will be available hybrid. How? What it will look like? I don't know yet. We'll figure that out when we get there. Just like we did this last intensive, we 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 stumbled through it and it went okay. So yes, it will be available. Thank you. As well. Uh, Todd, I just wanted to um, extend my gratitude for leading us through the precepts. It was incredibly helpful for me. I really enjoyed it. And I loved, you know, all of you and our ongoing discussions. It's been a really lovely experience. And the last thing I was going to ask for this evening is if you're so willing to share what you wrote tonight about what you would say to you know an earnest practitioner considering joining the precepts program and why i would love to have a copy and um, look for little excerpts to to anonymous anonymously share in our next invitation to the next year-long precepts program so if there's um all or part of it you're willing to share, just please email it to me. If you know it's handwritten, you can just snap a photo on your phone and email it. Um, or if you wanna type up a little quote that you think pulls out of it, I'd appreciate it. All right, well, I hope everyone has a lovely evening and we will see you around the virtual Zendo soon. Thanks, Todd. Good night, everybody. Good night.